If you picked up one of the bulletins when you were coming in, or if you've looked it up on your phone, you will notice that we are going to consider a strange-looking guy for about three weeks in a sermon series. St. Francis is on the docket. We are entitling this series, Living with St. Francis. And it may be that you had not been conscious of the fact that you were living with St. Francis, that St. Francis is still around. But it's an interesting thing to think about the presence, the presence of others with us that have passed on. And today we want to consider one special person who is, who is revered by all of the church, even beyond the church, for the, the, the ways in which he drew an understanding of Christ in his life. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today from Romans chapter 14. Let me read for us the 13th through the 21st verses here. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to, be a, to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. May God add rich blessings to the reading of the word and to our hearing, not only with our ears, but with our hearts today. He was born in Italy just over 800 years ago. This guy, Francesco Bernardone. Francesco was this young man born into a favored household. His mother and dad were rich. They were wealthy, far beyond what those in his community could comprehend. He was a dealer in silk, his daddy was. And he sold widely of these fine fabrics to people that they might have the best of clothing made, or they might put drapes up in their uh, wonderful homes that the wealthy would build. And he had gotten rich off of the people. And so he had bought up a good bit of land around. Not only was he a merchant, but he became a farmer as well, having horses and cattle out beside the town of Assisi. Francesco's parents were not unlike all parents who are of means. 
That is, they indulge their children with their means. And so Francesco was raised having the best of clothes and having the best of parties. And guess what? Francesco liked it. He really liked it. And so as a youth, he was known in town for being the one go-to guy if you wanted to have a good time. But early on, he began to think to himself, what do I want to do with my life? I mean, this merchant stuff is kind of boring. And so he, he came up with the idea, I'll just make myself into a knight. I can't be a knight, but I'll be as best a one as I possibly can. Do you remember back in those days, if you've read the history, that there were all of these skirmishes that would occur between these cities that were in the proximity of each other, these fiefdoms of people that wanted to expand their control, bumped up against each other, and so they would have these petty skirmishes where all of the men in this town would go out into the countryside and meet the men in the other town who were coming to ward off the advances that were there. And so they would be at war. It was a small war, but they would be at battle with each other. And as long as all that stuff is happening at a distance, it's a whole lot better to to fall in love with than up close and personal. Some of you know that we are, are in this few days of remembering veterans in our midst, and we need to remember that war is something that is not to be romanticized. It is hell by definition. It is a difficult matter. But from a distance, Francesco, Francesco is like the rest of us, like the rest of us. And he thought to himself, my daddy's got a horse. He can buy me the finest armor. I'm going to go out and be the greatest soldier that Assisi has ever known. And so he went off. And guess what happened there? They got beat so bad. That little army was left in tatters, dying on the hillside outside of Assisi, except this neighboring army saw this looks like a little rich kid dressed up in armor. We'll just put him in a cell and try to get some money out of his daddy. And so they kept him at ransom for an entire year. Don't know that they were doing anything else but biding their time to let his daddy figure out how much money he could come up with. But finally, this wealthy merchant of a daddy bought his son back. While Francesco was in this cell, he got sick. I mean, they weren't caring for him. He got sick. And in the midst of his sickness, 
some say maybe delirium, he began to have these visions of God. He was praying, Lord, get me out of this mess. He was coming to his senses of how difficult the world could be. And in his prayer, God heard him and came to him. And when he was released from that prison, he was in the makings of being a very different person. In fact, when he got back to his father's house, far more important than helping his father in his business was going to church and praying. And when I say church, I'm stretching things because Francesco would go out and observe Sabbath in abandoned churches that were rotting and falling in. And in one case, the priest there, and he were just about the entirety of the ones that gathered for worship. And he, on one occasion, had this vision, Francis, which is what he began to be called by people in the neighborhood, Francis, go and repair my church, for as you can see, it is in deterioration. You know what he did? He went to the only place he knew where he could get something that was of value. And that was his daddy's storeroom with all those fine fabrics. And so he hitched up a horse and he took a load of fabrics into town and sold it off and then came back and gave the priest the money to use in rebuilding that little church. When his daddy found out what he had done, stay with me on this history lesson here. When his daddy found out what he had done, he was absolutely incensed that his son, this ingrate of a son, could do such a thing, having already cost him a half a fortune just to get him out of prison. When Francesco... Francis learned that he had so offended his father and learned that his father was about ready to write him out of the will. He and his priest friend met his father in town and his father said, you're taking everything I got. And Francesca said, not anymore. He said, even the clothes you got on are mine. And Francesco Francis said, we'll solve that. And he undressed himself right there in the middle of town. As the story goes, 
He took off everything. He was naked in front of his daddy, in front of the priest. Don't anybody try this here, okay? He was naked. And he said, now what I have is nothing but everything is mine. From that point on, and by the way, the priest got him a cloak right quickly. From that point on, he took great interest in being this person of God. He did strange things. On one occasion, as he rode down the road, he saw a leper. You talk about the fear in our country of Ebola. And what's going on in West Africa? Leprosy was like that. He got down off his horse and he got down on the level with the leper. And for some, God only knows why he did it, some reason, he embraced that man in all his contagion and kissed him. Incredible. Word began to circulate about Francis. He began to preach. Even though he was never a preacher by ordination, he began to preach. And everywhere he went, there was this lightness to his heart, as if he had discovered something about God and about life that no one else seemed to get. In fact, you know what they called him? They called him a clown of God because he could be so witty and so silly about life. And it began to repair the church just as God had asked him to do. He began to pray in a way that others found strange. A friend of his in the community, Claire, who helped him form this monastic order that he had in his spirit, she says that she can remember that he used to pray with the birds. What do you mean, Claire? He would sit down and the birds would just gather around him. And the foxes, even a wolf would gather near him. And when he would speak about them, he would speak to them. Now, I have to admit to you that I particularly talk to one little animal in my life. Not all animals, usually. But I've got the most precious dachshund. Have I told you about Tootie? I do dearly love Tootie. And she, she gets to hear everything that's going on in my heart. But Francis talked to everything. In fact, even what we consider to be inanimate objects. He would say, brother sun, sister moon. He would talk to the stars and call them by name. This was a part of his life. Are you alive like this in Christ? Do you see what Christ was doing in him? We talk about awakening. Our praise 
team did such a great job of sharing with us today in their music. But do we gather in what God is calling to happen? He prayed one specific prayer that he's become known for, St. Francis. In fact, let me ask you just to, just to bow your heads for just a moment with me. And let me share this prayer for us. St. Francis's words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, not so much to be understood as to understand, not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we awake to eternal life. He was an instrument of peace. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, you remember that he began with those words of blessing where he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you remember that? Blessed are the peacemakers. This is complicating because we don't put ourselves in that camp generally. He meant this. He really meant this when he said it. Happier those who make their lives this instrument of peace. The nature of the way in which he related to the world was just that, wasn't Jesus this peacemaker? I mean, come on, we put it on our Christmas cards. You maybe have already purchased some boxes of cards to send out to people. The great prince of peace. This is not something that should be remembered just in a few weeks in the year, but always about Christ. Don't you know that Jesus was this master at creating this atmosphere that someone might change and become a part of his peace? Do you remember how he related to Zacchaeus? This wealthy man who was ostracized by society, this tax collector, but he went into his house. Somehow Zacchaeus, in the midst of that conversation, felt not affirmed for what he'd done, but he felt Jesus's acceptance and love to the point that it changed his entire life and he gave back his wealth to the community and do you remember the woman at the well that sat down with Jesus there at Jesus's prompting and began to speak with him so honestly and openly about her life finally admitting what he had already deduced that she was a person of many relationships and that it was claiming her very life. And he said, I'll give you something different. I'll give you living water that will be far more than you ever dreamed. You remember Jesus' reaction with the woman who was caught in adultery and the crowd brings them to her and they test Jesus by saying, it says in the scripture that we are to throw stones and kill her because of what she's done. You remember Jesus' words, don't you? This intervention 
on behalf of peace, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus was the master at creating the atmosphere for someone to be changed and drawn into his love. This way of diffusing conflict was a part of the very nature of who he was, but it's strange because that way of love actually created even greater animosity on behalf of those who didn't want to really understand what Jesus was up to. You see how critical this is? For us to think that Jesus is not going to change us, that somehow we can be who we are will get us in trouble eventually with Jesus. And Jesus wishes to change the world. He changed Paul, didn't he? Paul's letters are filled with this sense of Jesus. That's why I've read this to you just a few moments ago, where Paul is talking about his relationship with Christ when he says, don't be a stumbling block. Even though you may have a right to do what you are saying to me that you can do, don't be a stumbling block for somebody else who may think a different way. Now, you and I have just come out of a severely polarized setting of political animosity and separation have y'all have y'all seen some of the commercials that have been on tv it's it's amazing every time this rolls around how mean-spirited the human race can be but what concerns me even more so is where we are now in the conflicted nature of our culture because some Christians haven't gotten the memo sufficiently that we're on the same side. We are called to be not stumbling blocks for each other, but to draw each other closer to Christ. This is our goal. And so if if you see, or God forbid, if you participate in verbal abuse and cynicism and sarcasm and ridicule, caustic and critical remarks, regardless of what the subject is, this is an offense against what Christ is seeking to do. Paul said it. You remember to the church at Ephesus, he said, let no evil talk come out of you, but only that which is for the building, for the building up of the church. If you and I aren't doing that, we're working against the whole now, granted, St. Francis was weird. He was just weird. He was weird. But he got that right. And you and I 
are called to get it right as well. There was a song that was iconic for the early 1970s. I may be the only one that remembers it so clearly, but it was embraced by the church, particularly in camps where we had youth gathering down at Epperth by the sea. I can still remember singing it and swaying back and forth from side to side. Let there be peace on earth. Y'all remember that? Do you know what the next phrase is with that? Somebody help me here. Let there be peace on earth and... Voila. That is what it's all about. It doesn't begin somewhere else. You see, this is, this is what all of the political advertisements get so wrong, you know. It begins on this side, not on the other side. You and I can start right here by embracing the idea that it begins with us. Do you know the name Eddie Hillison? Eddie was not as famous as Anne Frank, and she never will be. But she was a contemporary of Anne Frank. Now, Eddie was Dutch, but during World War II, she was a young adult whose parents, albeit were, were very learned people. And she was capable of journaling, unlike even what Anne Frank was able to at her early age. But she journaled, she wrote in her diary, this process of Nazi occupation to the point that she was taken off to Auschwitz and killed there. She was honest about her struggle. We all struggle with the nature of God in us, calling us to something more than what we can do ourselves. In fact, this is one quote from her. She said, there is a really deep well inside me, and in it dwells God. Sometimes I am there too, but more often... Stones and grit block the well, and God is buried beneath. Then, then he must be dug out again. Do you ever feel like that in your life? That you're digging to get down to where that living water of God is. Let me share one other thing that she wrote. And this is about our call to be peacemakers. So insightful. She said, ultimately, reflecting on so many things that were beyond her control, ultimately, we have just one moral duty to reclaim large areas of peace in ourselves more and more peace and to reflect it outwards to others and the more peace there is in us the more peace there will be in our troubled world
Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul said, let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Will you do that this week? Will you pledge your life to it? As we come to the close of our worship time, as we get to this point, I want to give two opportunities to you. One is that you would that you would give an offering to the work of God through Pittman Park United Methodist Church. This is an important part of who we are and what we do. I'll get the ones that are assisting to come down with the baskets to start that throughout the gathering area. But I also want you to be in prayer to offer yourselves as a people of peace. In fact, in this next few moments, I would invite you to give your offering if you would like to come and to kneel here at the front. If you feel like you haven't been a person of peace in your family, much less the world, I want you to know that this invitation is particularly for you. Also, if you have this sense of unrest within you, let me tell you that God can help you with that. This is a time to turn over to him all that is not right in your life. Let's bow for a few moments of prayer, but I want you to know that this altar is open to you to come and just to spend some time in prayer. Father, I pray your blessings on us as we share together in this time of offering ourselves to you. Take the offering that we bring, the finances that are a part of our lives that you have made possible. And bless us that we might be a blessing. And Lord, use us as your peacemakers. Forgive us for creating havoc where we've been. And draw us unto you. Help us to be your people. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.